The following podcast contains spoilers. We strongly recommend you watch the episode of The Walking Dead we're discussing before you listen to this podcast. Slate Plus members get early access to our Walking Dead podcast at 10 p.m. on Sundays following the broadcast on AMC. If you're not a Slate Plus member but want early access, sign up at slate.com slash deadplus. Hello and welcome to Slate's The Walking Dead podcast. I'm Mike Volo, senior producer here in Washington, D.C. Joining me from New York City is video producer Chris Wade. Hey, Chris. Hey, Mike. What's going on? Episode 13. That's what's going on. Episode 13, Forget. Last episode was called Remember. They're getting a little cute with the episode titles. The cold open. Sasha is in her bedroom in one of these houses in Alexandria. She can't sleep. And she's looking at all of these photos around her room, presumably of the family that lived there pre-apocalypse. Now, I have a question. Wouldn't like the first or second thing you do if you moved into a house be to remove all of the photos of the previous occupants? I find it really alienating living in a place or sleeping in a place with photos of strangers surrounding me. Am I alone in this? Yeah, probably. I am Um, alone in this? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I think I I totally agree with you. On the other hand, you didn't really get an invitation to live in this person's place. It might feel like desecrating the environment a little bit to rummage through these people's stuff and remove their identity from this house that they perhaps had no choice in removing their identity from. But I guess that's the dramatic thrust of what we're supposed to get from this cold open, that Sasha, traumatized by her experiences, feels the need to violently expunge the identity of anyone who came before her from this house. I mean, they're probably dead, right? Or they had to flee. They're almost certainly not coming back. Yeah, they're almost certainly not going to lay claim to the house anymore. So I I just found it a little odd that she hadn't already done away with the photographs. So here she is, freaked out by all of these pictures. And so she gets up early in the morning, it seems, checks out a gun from the storeroom that is run by Olivia. From like the summer camp gun room? Yeah, exactly. And goes into the woods and uses the photos as target practice, which in my opinion is just an unforgivable waste of ammunition because Sasha is a really good shot. She doesn't need to do target practice. Maybe she was just trying to exercise those images from her head. I mean, it would be a little bit like being stared at by ghosts. Yeah. If you are sleeping in this nice bed that has been left untouched, being stared down at by this smiling family who, for as far as you can expect, are already dead. Yeah. It's kind of analogous to that other moment we've had of somebody staring at photos of those who have gone before him, which is uh, Tyrese being transfixed as the by the photos of smiling twins before being devoured himself, being transported by these ghostly images that stay enough to let down his guard to be killed. Yeah, and in fact, somebody left a comment on our Walking Dead webpage on Slate saying that they disagreed with us and that it was in keeping with Tyrese's character to die in that way, that he never was really comfortable with violence. He was at heart a very peaceful guy. And he often got lost in his own mind. He would kind of go off on these sort of reveries, these daydreams. So it wasn't surprising to this listener commenter that Tyrese might actually not hear this walker sneaking up on him. 
You know, I totally buy that. And I think that yeah. that person is right, that that is very much within Tyrese's character, that he struggled very deeply with the things that he had to do. And though he became very capable at doing them, he never kind of lost that basic uncomfortableness with being a violent zombie killing machine. It still hurts, though. I still feel yeah. like that moment was a little cheap or underserved to his character. But I agree with that commenter that it is totally justifiable. Yeah, I agree, too. And it struck me because my wife can attest to this. I am one of those people who will sometimes be thinking about something and lost in concentration so much that I really won't even hear somebody calling my name in the next room. And it can be frustrating for other people to be around somebody like that sometimes. And Yeah, I think we all know that feel. Yeah, that, everybody that has experienced of, that, of course. Of, yeah, of like it's not until the fifth time somebody said your name that you realize that that thing you were hearing in the background was your name <laughs> you said. Right, yeah. Oh, you're talking to me? And Tyrese very much seems like that kind of person, that he was never quite comfortable with this new reality that mm -hmm. they're all facing. And he, he did kind of go off into his own head, I think, quite a bit. Well, maybe we should keep our eyes open for photos, and maybe that's a running theme of this back half of this season. Yeah, so back to Sasha. I think in this cold open, we now have very clear signs of what I called in our last episode Rambo Syndrome, and you called PTSD, right? Sasha yeah. has cracked. You know, I've been editing this video series that we do on Slate, a really great interview series where... At the Brooklyn Brewery, where they have war correspondents and war journalists come in and kind of discuss their experiences and discuss their works. But a lot of the stuff that they talk about is the pervasiveness of PTSD and how, you know, not even being a soldier, but being kind of soldier adjacent, mm -hmm. just being surrounded by the conditions of war and survival unavoidably affect you. And it's impossible not to be changed by those things. And so, I mean, I've just been thinking about the kind of stuff that we've been seeing with these people being wholly unable to adjust to this very bucolic life after so long at war, yeah. you know, in a battlefield. Hearing you say this, Chris, reminds me of one of my favorite war documentaries. It's called Restrepo, and it's about a company, a platoon, I think, of soldiers in Afghanistan. And one of the filmmakers, Sebastian Younger, was on the NPR show that I used to work for. And he felt like every day out there, he was so close to death. And I feel like that's probably what Sasha's going through, right? You can scare yourself into being like, I am now in a safe place, and I don't ever want to be in harm's way again. Or you could convince yourself that no place is safe, I think. And I think that's what Sasha has done. Yeah. And just as an aside, Sebastian Younger is great, and he is actually the host of this current batch of War Correspondents videos. So look those up on Slate. Google Slate War Correspondent Sebastian Younger. Yeah, and he's fantastic. Find some great interviews that he's been doing. But yeah, and then there's also like the other really hard to pin down feeling, also Rambo-esque or Hurt Locker-esque or, you know, the stuff that they've been talking about in these War Correspondents videos that I've been doing, that at a certain point, the only thing that feels real is the world of combat. Mm -hmm. And trying to adjust to civilian life becomes impossible because there's just no sense of feeling unless it's that heightened feeling anymore, that there is no, in a way, no coming back. At a certain point, you're numbed to a non-combatant lifestyle, and you have to kind of go freebase those intense emotions, those heightened emotions at some point. And I, I have a sense that that's kind of what's going on with Sasha. I think less so Rick Carroll and Daryl, 
who are kind of plotting in their group's best interest behind the scenes. They seem a little more collected and rational. Sasha seems to be unscrewing a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So after the cold open, Rick, Daryl, and Carol are outside the gates scheming to steal a bunch of pistols from the storeroom in case something goes down, in case things turn bad, so that they are armed, right? Because nobody's allowed to carry guns in Alexandria. You're allowed to check guns out if you're going outside the gates, but you're not allowed to carry them inside. First of all, Rick, minus the beard and plus this rent-a-cop uniform, has much less gravitas than he has had in this previous run of episodes. It is, like, constantly surprising to see him without the beard. Like, every time he's on screen, it's like, ah! Oh, yeah, that's right. Right. It looks like he's in some kind of rom-com now, (laughs) especially when he's interacting with Jesse. Yeah, yeah. In last week's episode, we were really examining whether or not Rick and his group could trust these people. At this point, I don't think the question is whether or not they trust the Alexandrians as much as truly feeling that the Alexandrians are too soft to care for this boon that they have and that there will come a point in which they need to take it from them for the best interests of everyone. Yeah. And in fact, Rick says to Daryl and Carol something like, these are the luckiest people alive and they just keep getting luckier. And the way in which he said it was just dripping with disdain for them almost. Yeah. Right. And they're even luckier because they have us now. And that feeling came out again a little bit later when... Rick and Michonne and Sasha discover that this watchtower in Alexandria is not being manned by anybody. They're incredulous that these people are not taking this as seriously as they should. Yeah, and these people don't realize because they've spent this entire apocalypse holed up in this one place where they can kind of trust each other and live freely among each other that as Rick keeps trying to impress upon them, the real danger aren't the walkers. The real danger is other people. And I'm sure in Rick's mind, his great fear is a is a kind of Mad Max to the Road Warrior situation in which this fortress of safety is suddenly besieged by some kind of humongous type adversary who wants to take it for his and his gang's own nefarious purposes and these people simply being unable to defend themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, in a way, Rick is almost bringing the attitudes of the governor to this place. I mean, Rick has become the constable. Right, yeah. That is possibly what's going on, right? But it may be that we, the viewers, are being set up here. There's an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation in which the Enterprise answers a distress signal from a ship. Mm -hmm. There are many episodes in which that happens, but there's one in which the distress signal is from a species that they've never encountered before called Packleds. When they get to them, Riker says, What brings you so far from home? We look for things. What were you looking for? Things we need. Can you be more specific? Things that make us go. We need help. What is the nature of your mission? We look for things. Riker's like, are these people just total morons? Like, what's going on here? The episode is called Samaritan Snare. It turns out that it's a kind of ruse. They're not super technologically advanced. They're advanced enough to fly ships through space. But what they're doing is they're luring people who are more advanced than them. So they send Geordi over, the ship's engineer, to help them, and they essentially kidnap him to 
help them make their ship better and to be more technologically advanced. And it occurred to me that, well, maybe that's what's going on here. Maybe there's a kind of Samaritan snare where they're pretending to be naive because they want to somehow ensnare this group who probably do have much better survival skills than anybody in Alexandria. I don't know. It's possible. What do you think? I guess I'm more waiting for if this situation turns sinister, the way that I imagine it is some kind of like Shirley Jackson's The Lottery situation where all of mm. a sudden this very peaceful town, town they're right. like, all right, and now is the time of the year where we ceremonially kill one person <laughs> just to remember what a cruel world it is. <laughs> oh, we didn't tell you about that? We, we assumed you'd figure it out. And yeah. then there'll be coffee and cookies afterwards. Yeah. So they demand that somebody man this tower. And Sasha's mm-hmm. like, I'll take whatever shift you can give me. Not only does she have PTSD, but it's a kind of bloodlust almost, a kind of bloodthirst. And maybe that's mm-hmm. a part of PTSD, as you were alluding to earlier. But it's as though she she wants to kill. Yeah. And we don't quite get the sense if it's out of a feeling of revenge or just this insane energy that is built up inside her that that she just needs to get out. She's good at it, and she seems to only have good intentions in mind to defend her people at all costs, but she just, like, needs that purpose. But to what end? I mean, (laughs) the problem with trying to revenge kill zombies is that you will never kill enough zombies to feel revenge. And also, they don't know who this is for. Yeah, revenge is only satisfying if the object of your revenge is aware of the turnabout. So the centerpiece of this episode is this welcome party that Deanna throws for Rick and the rest of the crew. Carol is dutifully helping out with the cooking. And I love the scene when she's in the storeroom with Olivia and this guy Tobin comes in to check out a gun And he says to Carol, you know, you afraid of guns, ma'am? And Carol playing this character that she's been inhabiting now for an episode. You were totally right about that, by the way. Yeah, she's playing this demure damsel in a sense. Meanwhile, she, of course, is like the Sarah Connor of the group. Sarah Connor being Linda Hamilton's character in the Terminator movies. And it's so transparent what they're doing here, right? They're setting up carol to eventually shed this character much to the surprise of everyone in alexandria but it's going to be so satisfying when it happens yeah that scene was great and then her later scene in the storage room when she breaks in and the kid follows her oh gosh oh my gosh vicious vicious scene right so carol was the one who was going to sneak out of this party and steal the guns she gets just caught too many cookies right she gets caught by jesse's son sam And wow, we see a side of Carol here that I didn't quite see coming. We knew she had that kind of cunning in her, but to see that kind of viciousness directed from her to a child is actually one of the more shocking things I think this show has shown in a while. And it was a very intense and rewarding scene. Rewarding to the viewer, I think. Right. But especially given that we see her as this aggrieved mother figure because she has lost a child in such a dramatic way in the show. And that had been the motivation for her arc of badassery for so long. Right. And now it's kind of gone so far that that vestige of her aggrieved mother is totally subsumed by, I don't even know what you would call that, pragmatist survivalist? The monsters will come. The ones out there. And you won't be able to run away when they come for you. 
and they will tear you apart and eat you up all while you're still alive. All while you can still feel it. So at the same time that we see the complete icing of Carol's heart, we then also see a parallel thawing of Daryl's heart in this nice little interaction with Aaron and Eric where they have kind of a separate dinner party in which Aaron commiserates with Daryl about feeling like an outsider, even within a small group that seemingly only wants to welcome him Mm -hmm. and (laughs) gifts Daryl a bike and a bunch of bike parts and asks him to be another recruiter for them because he knows that he's a survivalist and he knows that he has the capacity to see good in people, which is seemed to be for Daryl some of the best praise and the praise that he could live with the most that he has ever received. And it really, in that moment, made him seem to make him feel at home with these two people in a way that we haven't even really seen with, um, you know, the sense of purpose that we were talking about last episode that Rick gave him. Yeah. Or is this yet another part of this larger Samaritan snare? It seems a little too convenient that they have in their garage this wonderful shop with all of these bike parts and bike chassis where Daryl could build his own motorcycle. It felt to me like he was being set up to warm to them. They said that they weren't going to Deanna's welcome party because Eric was still nursing this bad ankle. I don't know. He could have limped there. He could have gotten a makeshift pair of crutches or something. Well, they also say that they feel a little outsidery themselves. Because they're gay, yeah, and they've, yeah. they've heard comments from people. I guess that makes sense. I love how they gave Daryl, like, the most ostentatiously atrocious table manners. <laughs> He's slurping his spaghetti, like... Well, at least he didn't bring that dead possum in with him. Right, exactly, lay it out on the table and just start eating possum guts. I guess that's one of the more interesting things, narratively, that this show is doing, and is capable of doing right now, is by really just presenting us with a group of people in which there is no direct evidence of ulterior motives. Mm -hmm. And then being able to, without providing any evidence of suspicion, really, make them seem possibly sinister just by what we know of the show and its past and what we've seen this group go through. They can just present a group of people who are seem objectively nice and good and willing to help. And that in itself becomes suspicious in its own right. Yeah, pure good is as suspicious as bad. Yeah, they've turned me into a kind of paranoid person as a viewer because I'm constantly looking for clues as to what is going on with this weird Alexandria society. Jesse's husband, the doctor, seems a little off to me. He he made some kind of snitty comment to Jesse when he was going to refill their drinks. It seemed odd to me that none of them had met Deanna's husband prior to this party. Yeah, I don't know. How long have they been there now? Like 24 hours? Maybe he's been out fixing up the walls. You can't be made constable in 24 hours, Chris. (laughs) Yeah, I know. You need a little more time than that. And then there was the weird moment with Rick and the baby and Jesse and the kiss that was maybe more than it was meant to be. Yeah. A little later. I mean, trouble brewing. And then Jesse's husband was the same guy who yelled at Rick from the porch. (laughs) Right. Last episode, right? Yeah, he was smoking on the porch and said somewhat cryptically, welcome to Alexandria, as if there was some subtext to that. Textually, though, there's still like no reason to distrust these people. Right. Which only seems to leave more subtextual reason to distrust them. So the question we have at hand is, 
are the Alexandrians master manipulators, because they would have to be, manipulators of the highest caliber to pull off a coordinated psychological stunt like this, mm -hmm. or are they purely good? There's another question that I'm grappling with. Mm -hmm. Where in the world is Gabriel San Diego? Yes, wait. <laughs> he, he got to the thing with them. I was thinking about that. He got to the city with them. Yeah, what happened to but Gabriel? But we haven't really seen him since. I mean, we've really only seen like four people since they got there. No. I, mean, I guess we see a little bit of everybody. Yeah, we saw Abraham and Rosita. We saw Glenn. Glenn we saw Maggie. Glenn and Maggie had a moment, yeah. We've seen Tara. Noah. I don't think we've seen Gabriel at all. Yeah. What's up with that? It's almost as if the actor quit the show and they decided, well, we're just not going we'll to ever acknowledge his existence again. Yeah. But it does seem more like a production thing than a story thing. Perhaps. I don't know. Maybe that guy was in a movie or something and had to miss a few episodes of filming. And then the other question I have is at the very end when Rick is palming the wall listening to a walker on the other side and the episode goes out on the Bee Gees song, Spicks and Specks, where is the sun that shone on my head? The sun in my life, it is dead, it is dead. What's the message there? Well, first of all, I love that sequence. Yeah. It was great. It was a really nice sequence, and it's a great song. I love that BG song. Yeah. Thank you for identifying that BG song. I meant to look it up. Uh, I didn't know what it, w what it was. Yeah, it was a really nice sequence. I think it is more of that PTSD stuff that maybe Rick is, still, is feeling now that he has more in common with the walker on the outside than with these simple, peaceful people on the inside. Yeah. That's what I took from it. And surrounded by the son of Alexandria, where is Rick's son? It has gone out of his life. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Here he is looking like a joker in this uniform, right? He looks like a mall cop. <laughs> yeah. And like, what's his purpose now? You know, just yeah. to kind of walk these confined streets of Alexandria, telling people not to litter. I mean, that's... Break up fights. It's no existence for Rick, right? I mean, he's got to regrow the beard. He's got to grapple with this coveting of his neighbor's wife. And... I think maybe move on. I mean, I, I'm not comfortable with them taking this Alexandria community, as I suggested in the last episode. I don't think that it's morally in keeping with the way Rick and the rest of that crew has lived throughout the last several seasons of this show. If they really do believe that this is a haven not worthy of its occupants, then I think they should give up on it and go. My kind of thought or prediction for the next arc of episodes is that... The inherent instability, paranoia, post-traumatic stress or Rambo disorder, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, of Rick's group will increasingly cause friction with the long-term residents of Alexandria mm -hmm. until a point where there is a demand for them to leave. I imagine probably headed by Jesse's husband as the flirtation between Rick and Jesse continues to grow. And at the point in which there, Deanna says, I'm sorry, this it really isn't working out, the Rick Carroll, Daryl triumvirate will make the decision that if it is going to be us or them, it will be us and not them. And there will be some kind of forcible combat. One last question, Chris. While Rick and Carol and Daryl, I think, were outside the gate scheming early on in the episode, they found on a dead walker a W etched into its forehead, if I saw correctly. Yeah. What is that? I don't know. No theories. Hmm. Like that, at the very end of the last batch of episodes, we saw that Morgan was tracking our group. Where right. is Morgan? Yeah. Who knows? Oh, and speaking of him, somebody on Twitter 
her name is uh, Laura Manis, shouted me out a news link that the stretch of Georgia town that served as Morgan's compound in that one episode where they found him and he went crazy uh-huh. is actually for sale. <laughs> 90% of downtown Grantville, Georgia has been listed on eBay. Is it abandoned, the entire downtown? According to the article she sent me, tenants occupy 45% of the area for sale. So I guess you can just buy the buildings, though if you wanted to turn it into a post-apocalyptic bunker for zombie survival, I guess you would have to evict some of those tenants. But uh, it can be yours for um, $680,000, which (laughs) doesn't seem like that much for 90% of a downtown Oh, one more thing, Chris. Something that I didn't bring up in previous episodes of our show because I just wasn't sure if my eyes were deceiving me, but I've since discussed it with our colleague, Chris Schieffer, who works here in the D.C. office of Slate and is a fan of both our podcast and the show. I maintain I saw when they were first walking through the gates into Alexandria, I saw Carl look back over his shoulder and spot a woman in a window in a house outside of the community. I mentioned this to Chris Schieffer, and he agreed with me. He said that he saw the exact same thing. So I think now we have a few weird open-ended clues, one being the W, one being this woman, and I think that this is all going to add up in the remaining episodes of this season somehow. Gosh, I I would sure like all this stuff too. I've been really enjoying this arc of episodes. I think it's been among the best in Walking Dead's run. I hope that they find ways to bring all these things in 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 fun, surprising ways. I hope things are not as they seem. My worry is that stuff like that might be like the giant four-toed foot in Lost, in which it is shown once, and it is crazy once, and then never mentioned again. Well, if the writers of The Walking Dead are listening, please tie together in some really fascinating, clever way. The W, the woman in the window, Morgan, what else? Too convenient motorcycle. Yes, exactly. Uh, Looking forward, as always, to the next episode. Thank you if you are a Slate Plus member. We really appreciate you supporting Slate. If you are not, please join. It is a great way to get extra segments on many of our podcasts. You'll get this Walking Dead podcast 24 hours earlier than everybody else. In fact, at 10 o'clock Eastern, as soon as The Walking Dead ends, you can sign up at slate.com slash dead plus. That's slate.com slash dead plus. And to be honest, I get the Slate Plus podcast feed for free because I work here. But if I did not, I would 100% pay for Slate Plus just for the ad-free extended podcast feed. It's all the podcasts in one feed, no ads, everything that we do early or you get early, you'd be able to get this on Monday. I Just for that podcast feed alone, it's totally worth it. Yeah. And really some of the best segments recently on the Political Gab Fest and Hang Up and Listen, two of our podcasts that I produce, have been these bonus segments, as we call them, these Slate Plus segments, where it's a kind of show after the show. And there's just some really fascinating topics and discussions that go on there. It's it's really worth it. The price, I believe, is $5 a month or $50 if you sign up for the full year. It's a bargain, really. And it's funny because we weren't even told to pl- aggressively plug Slate Plus here. It <laughs> no. just came out because we both think it's a good product. I mean, we're not told to do anything of yeah. that sort. So it's from the heart. In either case, Slate Plus member or not, thank you so much for listening. 